what happens when we have those thoughts, when our story has shifted in some unexpected way, turned upside down, and we're wondering how we move forward and where is God in the middle of this. Sarah is going to be talking about a book that she wrote called I Didn't Sign Up For This, and then we will discuss some of the things that she talks about in the book. So come on in. On Life Repurposed, you'll find a blend of practical wisdom and biblical inspiration that's designed to help you navigate everyday life with faith, purpose, and hope. We focus on personal and spiritual growth with a range of topics from improving your relationships and discovering your purpose to setting and achieving goals, plus tools and resources to help you live your repurposed life. I'm your host, Michelle Rayburn the author of books and Bible studies about finding hope in the trashy stuff of life. I'd like to introduce you to Sarah E. Fraser. She's a writer, a Bible study mentor, married to Jason, and a mother of five. She has a background in missionary work and Bible teaching, and her passion is to encourage women to start today with Bible reading and prayer habits. She shares some tools and encouragement for Bible study and prayer on her website, sarahefraser.com, and I will be linking to that in the show notes after our chat. Our conversation today is centered around the idea of saying, I didn't sign up for the life I'm living right now. If you're feeling that, I think you're going to be able to relate to what Sarah has to say. So let's jump into that conversation. Sarah, I want to start off by reading a little quote from your book that really it spoke to me. And it was like, usually it's later in the book, but this was in the introduction. So I'm going to read this. It says, in those disruptions, God revealed more than just my inability to control life. He showed me how even when my plans are rearranged, his plans are not frustrated. God's plan goes forth no matter what has come before or what lies ahead. So I want to talk about your story and how he revealed that. So can you tell me a little bit about your faith journey and how you got to that place where you could say God's plan goes forth no matter what came before and what lies ahead? Yes, um, Michelle, I would love to say that it happened, you know, in the midst of it, right? Like God is rearranging my plans and immediately I see, oh, but you know, I have this piece in the middle of it. No, it was, it was probably years in the making, um, had several things that happened to me as we all have Mm -hmm. some really big and grand and some, you know, maybe minor things, but they still hit us really hard. Um, and over time I've seen, God directing my path. And I've seen what situation that I would not have chosen, or I would not have picked out. In fact, you know, I didn't sign up for a lot of things in my life. But I have seen God use those things to further his plan for me, but also for our family, even maybe for other people. Um, We just don't know each one of us we just don't know the impact we have on others. And sometimes I think we forget that God is using us in ways that we might not even be able to see. So it was years in the making <laughs> as I struggled along to follow him as each of these interruptions came into my life. Were you following Christ as a child or did you grow up in a family of faith? Yes, I did. I grew up in a family of faith. My parents were saved as young adults and they began um, going to church um, really before they were married, but right as they were getting married. And 
were really discipled by some really strong Christians. And so we grew up, um, I'm one of four children and we grew up all going to church, you know, every time the doors were open, often my dad would be a deacon. So he would open the church. So we were there hours and hours before the church started and we were there after everyone left. And so um, church was always a part of our life, but also faith didn't just stop at church. It was at home. And my parents really demonstrated and lived out what they believed at home. And so when I went into college, um, you know, it's easy to say, well, I believe this because my parents did and it made sense to them. Um, But I remember coming to not a crisis of faith. I wasn't in crisis, but I definitely made the conscious choice. I'm going to believe this for myself. And I think I, I, I count it as a blessing that I came to that choice, not at a moment of crisis. And, and everyone has different stories, but I'm mm-hmm. so thankful for my childhood and my solid, that solid foundation that, that my parents helped lay. What were your dreams for the future? Did you did you have dreams of going into some kind of ministry or did you have your career kind of all planned out in your mind when you were younger? Oh yeah. I, I am definitely a planner person and <laughs> it, it started way back when I was eight years old. I remember um, telling my mom I wanted to be a missionary and I thought I had to be a nurse to be a missionary. I don't know what my eight-year-old mind thought about that. And then I realized I am not anything medical <laughs> and so around 12 or 13, 14, um, I started uh, teaching a small little class. Our church uh, allowed me as like a 14, 15 year old to teach the preschool class. And I fell in love with teaching and I thought, okay, this is how <laughs> I'm going to the mission field. I love teaching. So I had a plans to be a teacher. I wanted, you know, I was told by several people, you're going to marry a pastor. And, you know, I learned piano so that I could play in church and, and all of those things, um, the Lord changed changed a lot of that. <laughs> I, I had dreams and plans as a teenager and even into college, but the Lord definitely shifted those plans. I didn't marry a pastor. <laughs> <laughs> I grew up in a really musical family, and I said I was going to marry someone who would sing in church with me because that's what my parents did together. And my husband says he doesn't sing, which I think he probably does, but I, he won't sing out loud. And he doesn't play any instruments. He says he plays the radio. So that's... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny how um, I found a list when I was, I wrote out when I was 16 of characteristics of what I wanted in a husband. And my future husband met, I, I wrote down specifics, but I look at that list. And I remember thinking he meets all of the heart qualities of that. Right. <laughs> like he meets all the heart, maybe not specifically, you know, I thought he would be a sports person. My dad is a big sports person and my husband could take or leave sports, but um, <laughs> I mean, he follows it so he can have conversations with other people, but you know, that's not his big interest. So that those kind of things are fun to <laughs> those are okay, right? Those are right. things that we're like, okay, God, that's fine. That didn't work out because this is better. Yeah. Um, hard things. <laughs> yeah, I realized that my teenage self too, like was, you know, you're creating this image of a person who doesn't exist. And yeah, really? <laughs> God has a much different plan and a better one, which is the theme of your book and talking about God's plans. And I know from looking at your book that you did end up on the mission field. So we'll fast forward a little bit and look at that. I'd love to know, like, what was the process of getting to where you and your husband decided we are going to go on the mission field? 
I'd love to know a little bit about where God showed up in the middle of that and how you knew that was what he wanted you to do. I love this question. And not a lot of people have asked me this Mm. question. So I'm so glad you did. Um, Both of our hearts have always been toward bent towards missions. Like I said, as a child, I wanted to be a missionary. Even as a young, you know, unmarried college student, I was thinking missions. And my husband, he's actually a physician. He, when we met, he was in med school and then doing residency. So he had lots of loans. And so although we would have liked to have gone straight to a mission field, um, there was a lot of people telling us wisely that this debt needed to be paid mm-hmm. off. So we kind of settled in, but it always, I, I explain it like it was always on the back burner. It was always something where like, we'd really like to do this. We'd really like to do this. But, you know, he started working and um, finished residency. Then he started to pay off his loans. And the Lord was really working in our hearts about, you know, a lot of the debt that we had. So we paid a lot of that off. Um, And then in the meantime, God kind of put in our hearts uh, adoption. And I talk about that in the book. And we've adopted two children from China. And so that whole process, we were always sort of, um, you know, is mission still, you know, what he's calling us to all of that. During the first adoption process, we went to a missions conference in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, And at the final session, I remember it was 2013 or 14. And we just completely, we both individually, like in our seats, we didn't like walk forward, but we in our seats just kind of surrendered and said, Lord, if full-time missions opens up for us, if that's, we really think that's what you want for us. And we got back in the car and he shared with me, you know, what had happened. And I shared (laughs) with him and we're like, we're definitely of the Lord because it wasn't something we had talked about beforehand. You know, it was just an individual, but together call towards full-time missions. So we said, okay, once we finish this adoption, we really need to look into it. And so we kind of just kind of was like, well, we're going to do this adoption first. Um, the I remember we were in the process and it was time to meet our social worker um, for our home study. And the day that she was scheduled to call, my husband was supposed to get off a little early that day from work. Um by that time, he had joined a private practice as an employee um, in hopes of buying into the practice. So a little backstory, we thought he would buy into this private practice and um, and become a partner. And the, the other partner was a little bit older. So we knew, you know, eventually it might come to him. Um, but we had kind of this moment of crisis about two or three months before this and said, OK, if we buy into this practice, then there's no full-time missions. Like we can give to missions. We might be able to go on short-term trips, but even those would be very hard to do when you own your own business. Right. You can't travel. You have to be there and you have to find coverage. It's just not a good setup. And his partner, that whole idea of mission work was just so foreign to him. Mm-hmm. He just didn't see, you know, obviously he he didn't really understand um, our hearts or anything like that. So it wasn't something that we could talk to him about, but, um, so we prayed about it. We actually fasted for like a whole month and we just prayed. And I remember getting to the end of that month and like, there's no voice from heaven. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And so we said, well, the Lord, you know, Lord, you need to show us what you want us to buy in. Do you not want us to buy in? So fast forward a few months later, it's the day of our first home study meeting. And my husband called me, he said, he doesn't want me working here anymore. And it was like, 
a bomb just wow. dropped. I mean, I could tell the emotion in his voice. He was not an emotional person. So I immediately thought I got to hold it together mm-hmm. because he's about to to lose it. And um, looking back, we, we see that um, with the business and everything, it just, they had worked, tried to work it out, but it just, there wasn't enough, uh, business basically there's not not enough patients for two doctors really he didn't have a big enough practice for two doctors and so um it was the right decision to make it was just kind of really sudden yeah but i'll tell you um my first thought i had two thoughts like immediately that day we had two thoughts one is god um no the enemy the enemy hates adoption because of all the days that this could have been told to us or that this would have happened the day of our home study meeting. Right. So how discouraging mm-hmm. to look at the social worker and say, we'd like to adopt a child, but he doesn't right. have a job and I'm a stay at home mom. Yeah. <laughs> and so thankfully our social worker understood the mm-hmm. situation and she's like, I'm sure he'll find another job. Let's just continue on the paperwork and all that. All of that worked out, but I remember thinking the enemy is just trying to attack this. And um, I'm firmly a firm believer that he is very much against adoption. But the second thought we had was we remembered our prayer about going into mission work. And so in our hearts, we knew that God closing this specific door was actually him opening the door to Mm -hmm. future mission work. And so we began to really actively search for a mission board or an agency or some kind of work that um, we could get involved in full time. And that's sort of the linchpin. I think that was what set us sort of on that track to actively look. So the thing with these kinds of journeys is, you know, the listener here with us might assume, well, there you go. You have the answer. You just start pursuing (laughs) it. And we might assume that this was the one hurdle that Sarah had to go over. (laughs) <laughs> and then I know from your story that in that adoption, what there were some surprises with that adoption and um, yeah. finding out that you adopted a, a child with bigger needs than you had expected. So how did that impact your decision then to go onto the mission field? Well, once once we kind of settled in with her, and when I say settled in, I mean like probably a year <laughs> later, when we kind of realized, you know, we had a better picture of what her medical needs were, we realized that um, other than her specific sort of needing physical therapy and occupational therapy, speech, all of that, um, she was healthy. And so it wasn't like she was going to need follow-up appointments with surgeons. There was not going to be any kind of, you know, a lot of med. She wasn't on any medication for about three or four years. And, um, and she really hasn't been on anything um, long-term. And so there wasn't that sort of um, need for her to have this close watch medically. And so we knew that um, if the Lord would call us to a place that he would provide for her as well. And so um, that's kind of how we we saw the situation. And at this point, you had three, uh, you had four children. You had, yeah. you had three children when you adopted. And then I yes. know you adopted again. So where did that fall into yeah. your timeline? <laughs> so um, we're still pursuing sort of talking to different, 
you know, agencies looking at different parts of the world. Um, but when we adopted our daughter, uh, two things happened. Um, when I went, we had to go to China for two and a half weeks. And when I walked in, I realized her special needs, of course, was much more severe. But also, when you walk into a room, and I tell, I've told this many times to people, and there are 30 babies, mm-hmm. and you take one, um, you you are forever changed. And you look around your house, and we have so much here in the United States, and I think we probably could do one more. And um, her story was one of just struggle and but also a revealing of God's faithfulness. He just showed himself completely faithful from start to finish. I mean, she's not, it's not Mm -hmm. done, but through the years, he's shown himself faithful with our son's adoption. um, I see it as such a picture of redemption. Um, We went in with a much better (laughs) picture of what we could be walking into. Um, I tell a lot of people it was like standing on the edge of the ocean. And with our daughter, it was like looking out at the storm that was on the ocean and thinking it's not going to be that bad. But then like the hurricane hits and your whole house is like ripped apart. And then with my son, it was like standing on that same ocean with the storm out to the sea and being calm because, you know, the storm could be really bad. But you have boarded your windows. You Mm. have... You know, and in that, in that case, we had trusted the Lord and we knew that he would bring the right child to us. And he did. Obviously, he did. We love our um, we love both of our children. I love all of my children. But, you know, I really um, am thankful that the Lord was able to use our son's adoption. And what was so crazy about his special need is he didn't even have it. So we brought home basically a completely healthy little boy and it was just now he's had emotional um, needs and he has, you know, I think he's good. He had a lot of sensory issues, but he had a lot of emotional needs that I think are going to carry that are going to stay with him that, you know, that he's going to have to process that we're going to help him and find the right resources for him as he grows older and starts to understand a lot of things. But, um, but physically, he's completely healthy. And so um, in that process, so we're so we're pursuing the second adoption, but we're also pursuing missions. And while we're in the process with our son, we come across an agency that we really, really fell in love with because of their philosophy of missions. And we believe the philosophy of missions is, is to build up the church and um, with my husband not being a pastor, it's not like he was going to go and plant churches, but we wanted to come alongside a pastor, a church planner, and say, how can we help you build the church? And that's what this agency was hoping to do. And um, they were pretty much a brand new agency. And so we were account 102 and the director was account 101. <laughs> So, you know, we were we were just joining really brand new, um, really naive. I look back and think that we didn't really have a lot of guidance from people. We didn't we sought out some, but we could have sought out a lot more. Um, didn't know the questions to ask, didn't know, you know, all of that, but we're ready, right? We're ready to jump in and do this thing. And I believe God completely led us to them and that that was exactly where we needed to be 
while we were with them. And so we actually were visiting um, Central America where we ended up serving. And um, the weekend that we were visiting, we got the call about our youngest and saying that we we were officially matched with him and that he would be our little boy. And mm-hmm. so it was like our two worlds were colliding that, that, that weekend, but that was in about February of 2017, I think. So is when he came home, uh, June of 2017. So I know that when we're in a 30 or 40 minute podcast and we're trying to sum up your whole experience <laughs> in between all of these things, there are ups and downs and challenges each time where God is walking you through things like postpartum depression or financial challenges, um, spiritual attack, yeah. all these different things. So you finally end up through after all of those challenges, you end up on the mission field in Honduras. Tell me how that felt to finally get to that place. Um. I felt like we were at the place where we had worked towards for 10 years and where I had dreamed about since I was a little girl. Like this, this was, I remember getting ready to leave and a lady at our church said to me, the Lord is so good to give you all your desires. Mm -hmm. And that's how I felt. I felt it was just such a blessing to be, you know, in this place and to really start to build relationships and to grow roots. And I just wanted to, um, I wanted to learn everything and I wanted to jump in. And it was, it was kind of a crazy time though, because we moved January of 2020. (laughs) And so three months later, the country shut down and all our plans that we had set up, um, with this agency completely fell apart. And so, uh, well, they stopped. They didn't fall apart. They just, we, no one could travel. So we had to refocus, but that was all in God's plan too. Like, and with our daughter, I think what happened with our daughter and that unexpected sort of twist and turn helped us when that pandemic hit, we knew that God mm-hmm. was going to be faithful. We knew he had led us here. We knew he was going to be faithful. And we immediately started to see blessings and provision. And it was such a, a, such a unique time of spiritual growth in both my life and my husband. I think he would say the same. Really, some really fast-paced spiritual growth. If you've ever gone through, you know, <laughs> that fast yeah. pace. It's like throwing you in the fire. <laughs> yes. And you just learn, okay, I need to learn this lesson in this <laughs> lesson. So, yeah. So when logistics got in the way and you knew you could no longer stay in Honduras and that this door was closed. There were indicators, conversations, all of those things that brought you to a place where you knew you would no longer be serving with that agency and you would be going home. What went through your minds then? That whole process was about three to six months, but the decision wasn't made by us. And then the decision was happened in what felt like a day. So it almost felt like Mm -hmm. a death. It was the death of a dream that we had had for so many years. And we immediately, I felt grief and I thought, okay, I need to grieve this. There were lots of tears. I told somebody recently, I said, July of 2022, I cried every day. Like every day I cried and I just let myself cry. Mm -hmm. 
And uh, it was a lot of private crying, but it was sometimes crying in front of other people because this was so incredibly sad, um, just the whole situation. And then also um, we, we felt like, okay, God, where in the world are you leading us? Like we thought for sure this is where you had us. And we have wrestled with that question. I mean, really just two weeks ago, my husband and I were talking and we're like, we (laughs) still have to fight that urge of saying, did we miss God? Did we push something that wasn't him? And we, we come to the conclusion that nothing is wasted and that God indeed wanted us down there, even if it was just two and a half years. Mm -hmm. It was exactly in his plan, but man, man, it hurts. Yeah. Oh, it hurts. And you really do. I really questioned God for several months and thought this doesn't seem fair or um, you're not, you're not doing something, you know, I'm so confused. Mm -hmm. I just felt really confused. That is confusing. And it's, I've noticed that when God takes my desires and then he repurposes them for his own plans. Um, It is confusing in the midst of it. But where did you see God show up then in the midst of that when that was all going on? Did you have little glimpses of confirmation? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So we we began to see things that we knew um, we needed to walk away from anyway. Um, and then we just felt, I mean, the first thing my dad said was like, he's protecting you from Mm -hmm. something. And we really feel strongly that the Lord, and now what? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but I do, I do sense that from the Lord. Um, but also, you know, he has shown us that in the middle of it, he stays the same and the calling stays the same. Um, we were placed in the right church. We came back to our sending church and they had gotten a new pastor since we had gone. And we went to him at like the, within a week of when it happened. And just to kind of be like, Hey, you know, and he knew of us and he knew that we, you know, were sent from that church and he, he kind of knew a little bit of our story. So we just shared with him, you know, and we were open and honest about everything. And he shared with us that he and his wife, had been on deputation to be missionaries and the Lord closed that door Mm. and he became a pastor. And just hearing that he also had to let go of a dream that was very similar. um, I mean, that was only God that he would lead this person. And they, the two of them, the pastor and his wife have been such a comfort to us and such an encouragement. And they are far enough removed to be able to say it's going to be okay but also they had such a tender heart to say, we know it really hurts right now. Yeah. And so just having that, that was like a confirmation. We are where we are. And then also we made the decision to um, put our children in Christian school. I've always homeschooled, but we moved to a house um, that was near one of the best Christian schools. And so we decided to put them in this fall. And it turns out um, I had placed my two older boys in Christian school years ago and we just loved their third grade teacher and she had since moved to this school and was going to be the third grade teacher of our youngest and she looked at him and we were adopting him when 
my boy was in her class. So she kind of knew that we had adopted a boy from China. So she looked at my son like that day we met her and she said, I remember when you came home from China and your brother was so excited and your family just loved you so much. And he just beamed. He just like, because he's very proud. He knows he's adopted, obviously, and they both do. But he's just very proud that he's from China. He will tell everybody that he is from China in case they were wondering. <laughs> he is from China. He was born there. Like that is his yeah. heritage and culture. He's very proud of that. And so for her to say that in such a pause, like that's such a positive thing, um, just reinforce, like it's been the best thing for him. And it was like those little things mm-hmm. God is like, I have you exactly where I want you. You might not understand. You might even disagree with me. Because <laughs> yeah. I told God several times, I disagree with your plan for my life. But I'm starting to see with these little confirmations that the Lord has such a bigger view of our life. And I told my husband the other day, I said, you know, this time with this agency and the time in Honduras, it was only this short amount of time. Let's just remember that's a blip on our life. And that's not the whole sum of our life and that we are not done with our life and God's not done with us. And so both of us were really encouraged with that thought that really the hurt and the pain and all of that experience is just a blip on the whole big picture of our life. And so it's good to be reminded of that sometime, I think. Yeah. And I know as a fellow writer that when we write a book and we get it out there in the process while it's being edited and all those things are happening, God is still working. Our journey is still continuing. And so I know that when you finished writing, I didn't sign up for this. <laughs> that <laughs> There probably was a whole year in between there now where God has continued working. So what is he doing in your life right now that you're seeing even since you uh, wrote this book? One of the things that God has done is um, he allowed my husband, we we sought out some counseling um, um, after a few months of being home. And we met with some um, a wonderful pastor via Zoom. And he just brought us back to the Bible. He brought us back to truth. He brought us back to the Lord and helped focus our hearts back on Christ. He said, if you find yourself dwelling on what happened or this person or that person or this event, he said, just remind yourself of truth. So one of the things the Lord has really done in our life is really just grown our dependency on God and our dependency on his word, especially me personally. Um, Bible reading can be such a checklist thing for me. Oh, I read my Bible. Oh, I did my Bible study day. You know, I prayed through my prayer list, you know, just check, check, check. Instead I have been meditating more. Um, I've been trying to memorize scripture more. When my mind starts to go to those places where bitterness, I mm-hmm. mean, we've had to really guard against bitterness. Yeah. And I remember um, what was really helpful. I read Lisa Turker's book, Forgiving What You Can't Forget, which was really, really good for me to read this past year in this season. Um but she talked about bitterness always going to be there. And I think it's important that we recognize that bitterness is going to be like those weeds in our garden. And she talks about, you're just going to have to keep plucking them. Yeah. Like you can't just 
you know, you can't, you can't just say, well, I'll ignore it. It'll be fine. No. And so I've learned that I need to evaluate my heart every once in a while and say, okay, am I responding or thinking about because I'm, I need to pluck this bitterness out. So definitely bitterness has been something God has been working on. And, and the idea of goodness, and I write about that in the book, but I've lived it out this year, (laughs) that when our plans are interrupted, we just think, what is the good? Like that Romans 828, that just feels like a bandaid. All things work together Mm -hmm. for good. And the Lord has really been just pointing me back to the idea of maybe our idea of goodness is not the same as his. Yeah. And that it might not feel good. In fact, these situations do not feel mm-hmm. good. And what those people, if something somebody did something to you, that isn't good. That's not something that comes from the Lord. But that's the beauty of the God of the Bible because he can use those things to make us more like Christ. And that's what Romans 8.29 talks about. We need 8.29 with 8.28 to be conformed in the image Mm -hmm. of his son is what it says. And so being like Christ. So that's been our prayer. We are far, I'm far from looking like Christ, (laughs) but I want to start making that progress. I want to start striving to say, I want to get rid of bitterness. I want to love my enemy. That was a big thing. Our church is memorizing Romans 12 this year, um, some of the verses. And in that, it says, love your enemy. Do not repay evil for evil. Right. And, it's, and and those verses are hard, they man. Are. I mean, when you've been hurt, mm-hmm. they, they are really hard and challenging. And so um, just kind of stepping into that with the Lord has been some of the things that we've processed this year. One of the tough things when we experience something difficult like you did where your dream just comes to a crashing end, um, we just want to talk about it and process verbally online. There Sometimes there's interpersonal conflicts, there's organizational changes, there's all these different things that happen within a ministry. And of course, we're not going to just put that all out there. So how did you process then, like being really careful about protecting a ministry And yet telling people, this is our story. I didn't sign up for this. So do you have any tips for the person who's in that situation of being tempted to put it all out there? Um, So this is going to sound really cheesy and really practical, though, is I deleted the social media off my phone. Mm, The reactionary (laughs) Um, stuff. (laughs) I I did. I I immediately was running to social media Mm -hmm. and I would type all these posts and then I would delete them. And I would lay awake at night thinking about what I wanted to say online and all of the things I wanted to say for months and months. I struggled with that temptation. And my husband, thankfully, was really level headed. And he he reminded me that, you know, and and I've seen this, too, when people are venting or sharing their story when it involves other people and it's just their side of it, yep. um, it really doesn't put them in a good light. <laughs> and so I, we really wanted to, to protect, first of all, our own personal testimony. Mm-hmm. We did not, um, you know, feel that there was any need for us to share the details online. I didn't share them on my blog. I didn't share them on social media. 
nowhere. And in my book, I'm very careful about that. But, um, you know, privately, if a pastor would have called us one on one, you know, even then, um, we, we were very, very cautious. We would, if they asked us questions, we would, my husband, he handled it very well. He just would say you need to defer to the person that made the decision. Mm-hmm. And, you know, whether they were going to tell the truth or not, that wasn't up to us. And really, and really, we can't control that. And so we just decided that we were going to say enough to help people realize that we didn't do anything sinful, yeah. that there was no change in doctrine, there was no change in um, really a breakdown of any of the relationships we had on that field that that was intact. Um, and so we just we just said, you know, it was a logistical issue. And that's all we're going to ever say about it. And even if people were to come to me and want to know more, I'm very hesitant, because there is still good going out. And there is still the gospel and God's church is more important to me than whether or not my truth is heard. And we have to realize, and what really is comforting, this is the bottom line. The comforting thing is God sees everything. God sees everything. And when he sees everything, he's not just looking and saying, oh, yeah, you know, no, he's actively involved in everything. And I came to a conclusion, we came to a conclusion several months after that God is always going to act in the perfect balance of justice and mercy. That that he will always do what is right. Will the God, you know, will the judge of the earth do what is right is what Abraham asked. And that he will. It's a rhetorical question. He will do what is right, but he also extends mercy. And so the focus shouldn't be on, you know, everybody needs to know or these people need to be held accountable or or whatever. It's a giving over to the Lord. It's a giving over to the Lord and saying, you handle this situation. And um, I'm not going to lie. It's, it's, it's tempting. It's very tempting to, it's because it's so easy. Right. Yeah. So I would, but I would really caution you. I would really caution you about saying negative things about. Um, I just want to jump in here for a minute and summarize some of the conversation that Sarah and I had over the next few minutes. So one of the things that I really wanted to clarify was that we were not talking about abusive situations where there is inappropriate um, behavior, misconduct, that kind of thing. And I was trying to make it clear that we are not trying to silence victims. So we were talking specifically about a ministry context where there may be some disagreements between people and there are some things that do need to be addressed. But Sarah and I were talking about how they need to be addressed in private and not hashed out on social media with a whole bunch of posts before there's been an opportunity to really work things through behind the scenes. So I just want to clarify that before I hop back into the conversation and pick up a little bit later that this is a multi-layered thing and there's not a one-size-fits-all when it comes to what we were talking about. And I thought that was an important note to make here. All right, now back to our conversation. And and we told the people who needed to know. We told our pastor. 
um, we told our family. And so there are certain people we did tell the whole thing. And, And if you're in that kind of situation, there are people to tell the whole thing and not try to protect or whatever. That's very different from social media. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes, it is. That's something good so. to distinguish just because those are two separate things. And if if you have questions about which is appropriate and which isn't, I think a good thing to do would be to go to your pastor or go seek a Christian counselor because a Christian counselor is going to be able to help you say this definitely needs to be talked about or yes, you know, you can rest that the Lord sees and he'll, he'll take care of it behind the scenes. But, um, that's two things we did. And that was very helpful when we were tempted to do this or this. And we talked to our counselor, we talked to our Mm -hmm. pastor, um, they were able to give us wise counsel on what to share. And, you know, we sent a letter out about a week after we got the news and, um, and it was just, you know, pretty much what I wrote in my book. And, and so, um, but that letter, um, not a lot of people know, like we spent several days and we actually gave it to our pastor and he reworded a lot of it and he, (laughs) you know, marked his approval on it. And so, you know, that sort of thing. So, you know, there, there's wisdom in going to other people for counsel. I'm thinking about some of the things that are on the minds of people that I talk to regularly. And so your story really brings some of those things forward um, the grief that people have walked through, the discouragement, those kinds of things. And one of the things I love as we start talking about uh, wrapping up with really focusing on your book here, when you talk about not signing up for this, you have woven in in the book, I didn't sign up for this, you've woven Moses's story throughout. And so I can see your real heart there as a Bible teacher. So for listeners here, this is not Sarah's memoir. We're telling her story here on this interview because this podcast is really about story. I'm not a sermon podcast, um, but Sarah's book is really the biblical wisdom behind processing a journey, not about being a memoir. So who did you write this book for, Sarah? I wrote this book for the woman who is sitting in her life and she kind of looks around and says, this isn't exactly how I pictured my life going. And we talked a little bit before about how we have dreams and goals and as children and even young adults. And and we sit here and we think, this isn't what I pictured. And I draw from the story of Moses because I can just imagine Moses sitting around at various points in his life and think, this isn't really what I pictured or what I signed up for. And what really drew me to Moses' story was the idea that sometimes our life isn't neatly tied up with a bow. And, you know, we know the end of Moses' story. If you know his story, he wasn't able to enter the promised land, but yet he wrote Psalm 90. And if you want some really deep encouragement, go read Psalm 90. Today, it was written by Moses at the end of his life. And the first verse says, Oh Lord, you are my dwelling place in all generations. And Moses found a home and it wasn't an earthly home, but it was with God. And I think that we can take comfort to think that maybe this life that we're living isn't turning out the way we really want. And maybe those things that died aren't going to be resurrected, but God is still working a plan. All those times Moses thought this is the end or I don't think this is going to go anywhere. God is like, I have a plan. 
this is my plan. And so taking comfort in Moses' story, but also realizing that just because our, our, our plans don't, aren't neatly tied up in a bow at the end, doesn't mean that God, that any of it was wasted and that God was kind of thrown off by things. No, it, we can trust his plan and that he has a purpose for anything that we go through. That fits very perfectly with the life repurposed theme. And one of the things that I like that you have at the end of the chapters in the book is a little place for the reader to pause for some reflection to specifically think about where God Mm. is showing up in their journey. And I know, I think I saw somewhere that you have a Bible study guide that's also available to go along with this. Where do people get that? Yes. You can simply just send me an email and I can send it to you. It was part of the pre-order bonuses, but since you asked about it, I definitely can send it to you. And um, I guess you'll share my email in your show notes, but it's it's basically sarah at okay. sarahefraser.com. And so um, you can see how to spell my name. <laughs> it's F-R-A-Z-E-R. And so, yeah, so Sarah at SarahEFraser.com and just put Bible study guide or okay. mention Michelle or mention the podcast and, and I'll send it to you. So Because this book just came out as we're talking here. It's only been a couple of weeks. So um, I was I think I was looking at the pre-order page. So for the listener, I'm going to link yeah. in the show notes to the book so that you can get that. I will link to Sarah's website so that you can connect with her. I encourage you to follow her on Instagram. She's posting regularly there. Um, she also has a blog that she's posting on regularly on her website. So I encourage you to follow Sarah because it's regular encouragement. It goes beyond this book. You have other resources, too. I discovered you have other Bible study guides. Yeah, so I have a lot of resources. If you go on my website, sarahefraser.com, you can click resources. I have a shop and I have all kinds of free stuff. Even if you find the search bar sort of at the bottom and just put free resources, a lot of blog posts will come up with different types of resources. So there's a lot there. Yeah, and everything's, it's beautifully designed too. So I don't know who does your designs, but your resources have great covers and stuff (laughs) like that. So. I love that. So as we're wrapping up here, Sarah, what do you want to say to the listener who's here with us today? Uh, Parting words, encouraging words for the listener. I think for me, what has really anchored my heart to this idea that God doesn't waste anything is the daily practice of being in his word. And so just that daily sort of, I'm going to read God's word and especially for the person who is just in the middle of maybe the hard part of her story. And it just feels like a lot of grief. I'd really encourage you to read the Psalms because they're very open and honest. And even if you've read them before, I'm always reading the Psalms. I think I've read them probably at least 15, 20 times, all of them. And so, you know, I would encourage you to read. And if you come across one that really is like, oh, this speaks to my situation perfectly. Stop there and read it every day for like a week or a month or the year and just meditate on that one psalm. I mean, God's word is truly the thing that connects us to him, but also gives us the strength and joy and peace and the hope and the love and all of those things that that we that we want in our life. Thank you for being vulnerable and sharing your story not only here but in your book and on your blog and in those resources that you have because when you're vulnerable it helps us to see how God is at work 
And then we are encouraged to see God at work in our own lives. So thank you, Sarah, for that vulnerability. Thank you so much for having Michelle. This was such an honor to be here. Friends, I will link to Sarah's website and I will link to her book in the show notes for this episode. That is at michellerayburn.com slash 178. And so you'll find that there on my website. Thanks for being here and I hope you have a great week. I'll see you next time. You've been listening to Life Repurposed. If you'd like bonus resources sent to your inbox each week, be sure to sign up at michellerayburn.com 